second reading is from Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 14 to 22, and it can be found on page 1064. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds and that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. I want to begin by talking about the first time I ever saw a psychologist. Uh, part of being uh, ordained in the church is you need to have an appointment with a psychologist, which is a good thing. And, and they check you out. Uh, and uh, the first time that I did this, it was an hour and a half talking to the psychologist. We sat down and uh, started to share my life and, you know, ask the questions, sort of piercing questions, asking all sorts of things and, you know, asked what's your relationship with your dad like, which I thought was just like the movies. And so here I am sitting here divulging. And at the end of it, a couple of weeks later, the psychologist wrote a report uh, which I was given. And I'm reading this report, it's kind of the closest thing, it's biography of my life, going through the different seasons of it, and I'm talking with a mentor from the diocese and my wife, Charlie, and as we're going through it, it came to a sentence, which is a sentence about my motivation for doing a certain thing, why I did a certain thing. And the mentor said, that's not you, James. And my wife said, I don't think that's you. But as I thought about it, I was like, actually, that is me. That's why I do the thing that I do in that way. And in that moment, I realised two things. One is I was very impressed by the psychologist, right? I mean, this is an hour and a half, and yet he picked up something, which I didn't even know about myself, but it was also scary because he knew me in a way that I didn't really know myself. And as we come to another church in the Revelation, we have seen time and time again that Jesus knows his church, each and every one, more than they know themselves. As we end today, I don't know, looking back over the last seven weeks, what it's been like for you, but I've been appreciating each letter that Jesus has written to his church is not like a stock standard Hallmark card from Coles, you know, printed, where Jesus writes, Dear church, keep going, love from Jesus. You know, it's not print, no, it's handwritten where each one he knows individually what they need to hear, what they don't, what they may be unaware of, and what he knows that they do not. 
And when we come to the final one, Laodicea, he takes that I know you to a whole new level. So let's have a look. If you're back in the day when this was, letter, this was written, the thing you would know about Laodicea is one thing, wealth. It was a very wealthy city. It was affluent, and the church likewise was a very wealthy church. It was the bee's knees of churches. That's what the society at the time knew about Laodicea. But have a look what Jesus knows. Verse 15. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold or hot. I wish you were either one or the other. But you are, what is it? Lukewarm. Neither hot nor cold. See, Jesus sees the church of Laodicea and he knows the real spiritual condition of this church. They might think they're smoking hot, a cool church, but he says, no, no, no. You are lukewarm. Now, a bit of context. Down the road from Laodicea were some hot springs bubbling away and they were used for healing. Down another road were some cool springs and they were used for refreshment. Both had their purpose. But there was no lukewarm springs, right? And even if there were, there would be no point. When Jesus is saying, Laodicea, you are lukewarm, he's saying, you're useless. What are you doing? Now, you and I don't need springs to drive this point home. You know when you order one of these, a coffee. I have never seen anyone order a lukewarm coffee. What I'm about to say is an observation. It's not the word of the Lord. It's not anything biblical, so don't send any emails. But it's an observation, right? When you turn 60, something happens where you make an order of a coffee and you want it extra hot. Not just hot, extra hot. I've been with people as they're sitting and they have their coffee. Oh, it's not extra hot, right? They want something around the molten lava kind of category. Extra hot, right? Some want iced lattes, cold brew. No one orders lukewarm, right? When you're doing Uber Eats, right? It's the note section, you know, like uh, maybe extra utensils, dipping sauce, extra bread. No one says, can you make sure the pizza is lukewarm upon arrival, right? It is not a request. It is not a compliment. It is not desirable. Laodicea may think they're wonderful. Jesus says, no, you're useless. You may think you're amazing, Jesus saying ineffective. You may think you're vibrant, but Jesus saying, no, 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 you are bland, you are lukewarm. Now, I presume it would have been a shock, just like Sardis found out they were dead inside, that they thought they were spiritually alive. But you know what would be an even more of a shock? Verse 16, where it says, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, that word spit is not like, it's not like a bad taste, right? It's more like the idea of vomit. He's about to vomit you out of my mouth. That the spiritual condition of lukewarmness is so nauseating to Jesus, he cannot stomach him. In other words, he's saying, Laodicea, you make me sick. I mean, it's been interesting this week with sermon preparation. Uh, uh, earlier this week, it's been an interesting week. Earlier this week, um, as I'm preparing for this, most of my kids had gastro, right? So it was an interesting week where I got Bible in one hand and bucket in the other. But as this was happening, I was comforted by these words that Jesus is saying, I'm about to spit you, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. Because sometimes you see 
horrible things in churches. A pastor, his sexual misconduct, child abuse in a church, embezzlement of giving. And it makes you sick to the core. It makes your stomach turn. And it can feel like, is Jesus even affected by this? He is. He is. The, what you are going through, what you experience, your gut reaction is just a taste of the reaction of Christ. That he cannot stomach when Christians behave badly. But the issue that Jesus had gut reaction to is not necessarily one that you or I would have. Have a look, verse 17. You say, quote, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. That their lukewarmness was a symptom for something far more serious, and it's a self-reliance that's fueled by wealth. That the Laodicea citizens would have said, we're rich, we've acquired wealth, we don't need a thing. And you see that in history books, right? Uh, last week we came to Philadelphia, there was a big earthquake where Philadelphia was on, and that affected them, but it also affected Laodicea. And Laodicea had buildings destroyed and that kind of thing. And the emperor at the time went to a number of these cities with basically the first federal disaster fund relief and said, here, Laodicea, here's some money. You know what they said? We're fine. We're wealthy enough. We'll handle it. We don't need what you're giving us. That was Laodicea. And it's amazing how a church in the city can so easily absorb the culture, mimic those around and so Laodicea Christians were saying, we're rich, we've acquired wealth, we don't need a thing. And they're saying that not to the emperor, but to God. Let me flesh out how this can happen. Wealth in and of itself, money in and of itself, is not a bad thing. It brings stability. It brings opportunity. It brings freedom. And those are good things that money provides. But it also, those good things can create a bad thing where you have this subtle, false sense of confidence in yourself. That somehow you're the provider, you're in control, where you go from relying on God to relying on your own ability. Where you have confidence in the numbers in your bank account rather than confidence in God. Trust that when things go wrong, you'll sort it out, that God's an add-on. And how this affects you spiritually is all of a sudden you just become comfortable and used to it, where you don't yearn for heaven because you're kind of living in heaven, where you don't pray necessarily because you think, well, I'll just fix it myself, where you don't share because you're sort of entitled, I've worked hard for this. You find yourself not being thankful but complaining because you're used to being a consumer and things going your way. And this wealth can breed a self-reliance in you that builds up, builds up, builds up and then blinds us to our own spiritual condition. Have a look what Jesus sees when he sees Laodicea. Verse 17. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I don't know if you've seen the movie Shallow Hal. It's not a great movie, but it's got Jack Black and Gwyneth Paltrow. And the idea that Jack Black's character is under a spell where he sees women that the world sees as beautiful, he sees them as ugly. 
And as ugly women as the world would see it, he sees it as stunningly beautiful. His world, the way he sees it, is so different to everyone else. And, you know, friends, the way Jesus sees this world is so different to the way we see it. That we look on the outside, Jesus looks on the heart. That this church thinks they're glorious, they're to be marvelled, but just know you're to be pitied. They, they think we've got it all. Look what we have. And Jesus says, no, you're nothing but naked, exposed, and you cannot truly see. You know, when we did Smyrna, the second church, Smyrna was a very, very poor church. But Jesus says, they are rich. Come to Laodicea, a budget that would make you blush. But Jesus says, you are poor. So you know what Jesus does? He offers Laodicea some financial advice. Uh, Charlie, my wife, got some financial advice the other day. came in the form of a text message. Here is it. I was on the screen. No, it's not there. Oh, okay. I'll just read it out. I had a text message. This is what the text message said. Hi, sorry for disturbing, but we have a very special offer to you. Smart investing that makes you 1500 in five hours and cures poverty. Wow, that's pretty good, isn't it? 1,505 hours and cures poverty. All you have to do is click here. That's not good investing, right? That's a scam. Jesus' offer is far more trustworthy because remember, he's the faithful one, the great amen. Here's what Jesus' advice is. Verse 18, I counsel you, right? Here's the advice. Buy from me gold refined in the fire so you become rich. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. You know, it's interesting in Laodicea, the three things that made this city wealthy, were it was the banking city, the banking capital, had lots of gold. It was the fashion capital, had black wool, which was very prized. And it was a medical capital. They had a, they had a remedy for the eyes that cured sort of some blindness. And Jesus is saying, you think these things around you are good investments. You think you'll have them forever. Uh, wrong. He comes to them in verse 8, 17, 18 and says, you think you're rich? You're going to exit this world the same way you came into this world, naked, with nothing. Let me make you wealthier than you've ever dreamed, a wealth that will last into the next life. He's saying, you think you're beautiful because the clothes you have you will have to buy again and again. They will tear and they will fade. Let me clothe you in a righteousness that will make you stunningly beautiful forever. It says, you think you can see clearly because of the medicine you have? You will have to reapply, reapply, reapply. But Jesus is saying, let me show you how blind you are and that my love will remove the scales from your eyes so that you will see forever. In other words, you know what Jesus is saying? I know you think you're rich. Aim higher. Aim higher. The long-term investments that you cling on, in Jesus' might will last a day. They will go. You, you think you're rich, Jesus, saying, I'm the ruler of God's grace. I own it all. Aim higher. If you think you're wealthy, it's like having $2 and going to Elon Musk, the billionaire, and bragging, right? Jesus' response, his financial advice is to aim higher. And you don't get any higher than verse 21. 
To the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne. That Jesus is saying the future is my throne, right? And you can sit with me on it. You don't get more wealthier than that, right? I mean, I don't know if you know of Ella Slack. Do you know the communications program? There's Slack, but people use in the working situation. She had nothing to do with that, right? But uh, Ella Slack, Ella Slack is the stunt double for the Queen of England. She basically, not that the Queen of England does many stunts, but what she does is she will stand in the position where the Queen was about to stand. She'll go in the carriage where the Queen's about to go so that they can get the lighting right, so they can get the cameras right. When the Queen is going to sit on her throne, Ella Slack comes the day before, right, and pretends to be the Queen. But she is not allowed to actually sit on the throne. She has to sit just above it, just above it. The queen will not share her throne. Jesus will share his with you. Jesus is not anti-wealth or prosperity. He just thinks you and I are short-sighted. We're not thinking big enough. The throne awaits. He wants you to have wealth and gold and a clothes in beauty beyond what you can dream. But here's the catch. He's saying, this can be yours, but you need to acknowledge one thing, that you have nothing, that you are truly wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked, that this can all be yours, but all you need is need. The irony is that you can only buy this thing from God. You can only receive this financial advice by admitting you got nothing. And that is why Christianity is so offensive, particularly to the wealthy. It is why it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is why more people are Christian below the poverty line than above. Because if you're poor, you know what need is. You live it day to day. So when you need Christ, yes, I do, but the rich, eh, it's foreign. So maybe you don't need Jesus. If you're poor, you know what it truly means to rely on others. So the idea of relying on Jesus to save you, yes, but the rich, well, we're used to relying on ourselves. We'll work it out. I'll talk to Jesus. We'll smooth over. The poor gladly accept a gift where the rich are used to thinking, what do I have to do? What do I have to contribute? What do I have to offer? The poor know what faith is, empty hands. Come with nothing, receive everything. But the rich, our hands are full. And we think, I don't need a thing. But Jesus is saying, the only thing you need is need. You know, Sydney is a lot like Laodicea. The problem is not high cost living that you and I face. The problem is the cost of high living. And it will affect your faith more than you realise. I mean, Naomi Deck, our community care pastor, she, she says, the average person in the Bridge Church is more likely to be to New York than a Centrelink branch. Now, don't think, well, have I been to a Centrelink branch? Is it? No, 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 that's not the point, right? But the danger here is slowly but surely you become lukewarm because we forget that the Christian life starts with an acknowledgement, I've got nothing, but it continues in that space. It continues in a place that I am never independent, but I'm always dependent on the Lord. That it never progresses, 
beyond the fact that I'm in concept of need of God's grace and that I have nothing to offer, even though I might have a big bank account of stuff around me. Self-sufficiency, lukewarmness, it makes Jesus nauseous. Sick enough to say, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. But you know what word I love in that sentence? About. He hasn't yet. He hasn't yet spat, vomited out Laodicea. Even though it's left a bad taste in his mouth, even though they are, they are useless, blind to, blind to the fact that they're dependent on him, he hasn't yet. You know why? He loves them. Even Laodicea, probably the worst of all the seven, he loves this church. Look, verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand to the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Those sentences, I think, are a great summary for the whole of the seven letters, where every letter, though it might be a hard letter, it's a love letter. It's a love letter from Jesus to his church that when you meet Jesus, you come as you are, but you do not stay as you are. Where God the Father, through the Lord Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, wants to shape and mould and teach every single member of his church to wean us from our idols, to unsettle our self-reliance, to display his power in our life. And he does it through hardship, but he also does it through hard words to reheat, re-energise the lukewarm Christian. You know, two thing, other things beside the gastro has helped me this week in appreciating Jesus' love for his church and what it's not like. So the first is this. I had parent-teacher interview this week. And it reminded me when I used to be a teacher of those certain parents. There's certain parents that think their child can do no wrong. I apologise if you're one of them. They're not going to like the next two minutes. <laughs> But, you know, they have perfect Peter or faultless Fiona. That's their child. And every problem is someone else's problem. Their child can do no wrong. They are blind. They are naive to their own child's actions. Jesus is not like that. He's willing to acknowledge the wrong that his church, his bride, has done. He doesn't want to turn a blind eye. He doesn't want them to be protected enough so they cannot see their own wrongdoing. No, no, no. What does he say? Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. That discipline from Lord Jesus is always love. It is never a loving thing to turn a blind eye. But the second thing that I saw this week, and I presume you did, that reminded me what Jesus is not like, is Jesus is not like Will Smith, right? At the Oscars, goes from laughing to offend to violence, all within a second. And Will Smith's first reaction may be that to slap, but that is not Jesus' reaction. Even though you and I have offended him, even though sometimes we do things that make him sick to the core, that make him look bad, you know what Jesus' reaction to us is? Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in and eat with that person. That is his reaction. Our reactions are unpredictable when we're offended, but that is not. He is predictably gracious. He is predictably comforting to know that he is still there. 
So you and I can do what it says in verse 19. Be earnest and repent. Earnest. To feel what Jesus feels. Not to do what many of us guys who are married where a conflict arises and we say, sorry, 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 quickly to move on the conversation, right? No, no, no. To understand the pain that Jesus is going through. How offensive it is to do life without reference to him. To know that the Holy Spirit empowers us, but to think there's strength in my power. To know that God has given us everything, life and spiritual life, to take credit for it, right? That's why we read the Bible, right? It's a listening exercise to know what my actions are causing the Lord Jesus Christ. So earnest, right? So understand the pain. And then repent. Acknowledging of wrongdoing, where your heart's at, where your actions are at. Now, you might think, well, hey, why do I need to say it to Jesus? I mean, if he knows all, what's the point in saying it? He knows, but do you? Part of repentance is owning and acknowledging, yep, that's me. Yep, that's my heart. That's my motivation. That's where I'm at. This is why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. I shouldn't do these things. There is no greater antidote to lukewarmness, to self-reliance, than that of repentance. Thank God, I need you more than I realise. I'm more of a sinner than I imagined. I may have a lot, but in the end, I have nothing. And you know when you do that as a Christian, right? You experience in a moment the grace and the mercy, the wealth of that all over again that there is more grace in God than sin within me. And when you do that, it will turn the most lukewarmest heart, it will warm it again by the gospel. It will fresh even the most lukewarmest heart again by the cooling waters of grace when you step into repentance. So we're going to do that now. Each seven letters ends with the same way. Whoever as is, let them hear what the Spirit of God is saying. The big question is not, is God speaking? But the big question is, are you listening? Are you listening? Because if you've been listening again and again with each church, there's always, or generally speaking, always an invitation to repent. You know, it's been interesting. We think about what church out of these sevens is the bridge church? You know, which one's us? 10 a.m. Kirribilli. I reckon a better question is this. Which church do you personally connect with? Which one over the last seven weeks do you think, oh, that struck a chord? Oh, that pricked my conscience. Because that's the Holy Spirit tapping you on the shoulder, saying, hey, listen to Jesus. He's got a word for you. It might be a word of comfort. It might be a hard word. It might be Ephesus. Are you losing your first love? might be Smyrna, trusting God in the midst of suffering. It might be Pergamon, where you're finding yourself compromising, too cosy with culture. It might have been Thyatira, where you're tolerating sin and sexual sin. It might be Sardis, where you appear to be alive on the outside, but inside you know you're dead. It might be Philadelphia, where you're holding on that weakness is the way. Or it might be Laodicea, where you've become self-reliant, lukewarm, and you're losing your passion for Jesus. Wherever you're at, the invitation is always come repent. And 
Repentance is everyone's business. There's some here today who've never actually made that first step of repentance. But you can see God tapping on your heart, knocking on your heart, saying, come. No matter what you've done, come. And perhaps today you want to make that commitment by acknowledging what you've done and resting in Jesus' love and forgiveness. Perhaps that's you. Perhaps you've done that, maybe many years ago, but walking with Jesus is a walk of repentance where there's something that's been pricking your conscience and you know there's the Holy Spirit saying, I need to verbalise this to Jesus, to say it to him, knowing that he is there. He is standing at the doorway to your heart, wanting to come into your life, to that area in your life, and do a wonder. So what we're going to do, brothers and sisters, is this. We're going to pray a prayer. I believe it will be on the screen. And we're going to pray this prayer line by line and that you can pray this prayer in the quietness of your own heart to God. There's going to be a time of reflection in it, but whether you're here and you want to become a Christian, want to be a follower of Jesus, or you've been following him for a while and take another step of delighting in God's grace, let's pray this prayer together. Dear God, Sorry that I've sinned against you and rejected you as God over my life. Thank you, Jesus, you died on the cross in my place, making it possible for me to be friends with you again. I'm going to give you a moment now to pray to God. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Please help me to live from this day forward with Jesus as my Saviour and my Lord. Amen. Friends, can I say, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, that is the best thing you have ever done. Right now, know this, there is a party happening in heaven because you have given your life to Jesus and there is nothing better than that. And we here at 10am are equally excited. So we're going to give you a round of applause just to show how much we're excited. Because you walked into this building spiritually dead, but you leave spiritually alive because of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, the best thing that you can do for your Christian life is a life daily of repentance. Because, you know, sin leads to death, but repentance, it leads to life. And Jesus came that you have life and life to the full. So what we're going to do now is on your seats, everyone in the building is going to grab one of these and hopefully a pen is nearby. And we're going to fill this out together. No matter who you are, no matter where you're at, there's something here for you. So the first three, first, well, your name, you're on your own there. Write your name there. Then the service, 10 name, Kiribili and your email. And then there's one of five boxes. One is you've accepted Jesus' invitation to become a disciple. You prayed that prayer and you want to follow him. We want to rejoice with you and support you in taking those next steps. You can tick that box. You might be sitting there thinking, I've got more questions. I've got more doubts. Explore course is for you. That's happening just after Easter and we'd love to invite you to that. 
You might be visiting for today. You can tick that box. It's great to have you with us. You might be thinking, I'd like to get baptised, confirmed, or share my testimony publicly. You can tick that box. But the fifth one is, I've committed to following Jesus in this way. What is it that over this series that the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you? As a child of the Most High, what is it that you want to grow in, to change? And that helps myself and Betsy us to pray for you. So I'm going to give you a moment to fill that in. In this next song, some bags will be passed around. If you can pop those invitation cards in there, that would be a great help. Let's sing.